these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 as we move into the second chapter. It's good to be back this week. I had to drive 600 miles in 24 hours last weekend to coach three football games, and, and we won some, lost some. So anyway, back again, ready to go. And we're going to jump into chapter 2 today, but I want to review chapter 1 and put everything together in kind of a simple way. These are the things that we've learned over the last few, few weeks is that God has given us a spirit of power. Every one of us in the room is given a spirit of power, love, and sound judgment. There's nobody in here who's not in Christ that does not already have all of that. You have the power of God in your life, you have the love of God in your life, and you have the ability to think as Christ thinks. It's the gift that God has given to us. And then Paul would tell Timothy, now, Timothy, you got to know something, though. You cannot be ashamed of who Jesus is. And in our culture today, that may be even more important than it's ever been before, but we cannot be ashamed of who Christ Jesus is, willing to confess it, stand with it, no matter what we face in life. But then he also reminded him, not only that I don't want you to be ashamed of Christ, but do not be ashamed of those who serve Christ, those who may be in trouble, as Paul was, being in prison as a criminal. Stand with me, Peter. I mean, stand with me, Timothy. I need you here. I need you to be by me. Stand with me all the way through this. And then he adds this. The reason why we're not to be ashamed, not only of Christ, but of the people who, who serve Christ, but we've all been blessed with the amazing grace of God. And right there, in the, just before you get to chapter 12, he unfolds our salvation, the amazing gift that has been given to each and every one of us. On Wednesday night in Fort Worth, I've been teaching at Cross Church on the holiness of God, a book by R.C. Sproul. And it was a point I made, when you understand the holy justice of God, and such as Uzzah, when Uzzah reached out and touched the ark, what happened to him? He dropped dead. It's kind of a shocking thing to read in Scripture that something like that would unfold to a man who seemed to be just trying to do something kind of nice, a reactionary thing to keep the ark from falling off the ox cart. But when you begin to look at the underlying story that's involved in that, he was a Kothite. What did the Kothites do? Their very job was to move the ark. They were not allowed to touch it, nor were they allowed to look at it. The whole thing of moving the ark at that moment was being done wrong by everybody. And so whenever it went over and he touched it, he dropped dead. Why did he drop dead? Because the law of God stated that if anyone ever touches the ark with their hand, they will die. He was a Kothite. He had been trained in the discipline of his job. He knew it better than anyone else. He had been a part of his life. It had been drilled into him. It's the only thing as a Levite that he had to do was to carry the ark, do it in the right way, and that's it. That was his only service he had to do, and he violated it. You say, well, that's still pretty tough. Yes, it is. But he violated knowingly what God's word said, that the consequences of that is death. Let's go New Testament. The wages of sin is death. None of us have a chance then. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, not even one. And yet God has shown us this amazing grace through Christ Jesus. 
You know, I didn't come to Christ till I was 20, 21 years of age. I grew up in the church, went my whole life to church. I was, mom, when she took me when I was five days old, I was in the nursery. We went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We went two-week revivals. We went two-week vacation Bible schools. You, some of you in the old days remember how church was and how it all worked like that in those days. I, I was there every single time, but I never came to know who Jesus was, mainly because I didn't really wasn't interested. But when I came to know Christ at 20, it has always bothered me something. I was, a friend of mine came back from Nam. He had had a horrible experience in Nam. He had to kill a, a young child in Vietnam. Kid was pulling a, a pen out of a hand grenade. He was getting ready to roll it in the mess hall at the camp he was at in the northern part of South Vietnam. And it ate his heart and soul out for the rest of his life. The Lord just recently called Oli home. But when Oli came back from Nam, he was pushing the limits and everything, and we were crossing the Rainbow Bridge. And you don't know what the Rainbow Bridge is. It's over the Sabine River, uh, or excuse me, the Natchez River, and it's 200 feet tall. It's a mile and a half long. It's two lanes up, two lanes down, and it's got steel girders up about this high. And he decided to pass five cars going up that mile and a quarter to the top of the bridge. We're doing over 100 miles an hour as we get to the top of the bridge, and you can see the lights coming over the other side. There's nowhere to go. If we don't pull in in time, it's over. And he pulled in, and we missed just by a hair. That don't mean a thing to you, but I've always thought about that. If I'd have died that night without Christ, life would have been over. Eternally separated from the Father. So guys, I have an unbelievable appreciation for the grace of God. I still can't believe he allowed me into his kingdom that's what Paul tells us in right there. And he says, now because of that, unbelievable, get to be that. This grace that is amazing, we now have come to the point we know whom we believe. Yeah, we know what we believe, but we know him. To be allowed to know God, to know who Christ is, is the greatest gift that you have been given in your entire life. And so what are we to do with that? Well, we can have complete and total confidence that our God will watch over us and take care of us every single day. Every single day, no matter what we face in life, our God will never leave us nor forsake us. We've entrusted ourselves to him, and he will guard us, watch over us, and protect us. Through the most difficult of moments, through tragedies, through blessings, through everything, our God will be with us. And so last week in the sermon, you would have heard something like, hold tight to the standards of those sound words. Don't let it go. But the hold tight got an interesting thought to that that I want to add. When it says standard, the word in the Greek means sketch. Sketch. Now, I am not an artist. I can't even come close to it. I draw a stick figure, and you don't even know what it is. I got a granddaughter that is an amazing artist, and she'll sit down with a paper and a pencil. She's about nine years of age, and she'll draw all the most amazing things. And I sit there looking at that, stunned, because I couldn't even begin to do anything like that. I can sketch, but I cannot draw. Made me think one time. Sometimes the preachers, when we're up here preaching, we're driving home, you need to know the words, you need to know the word. It's almost like you need to be, all be Bible scholars. Well, in a sense, it'd be nice, but you don't have to be a scholar. What you need to do is take the great things of the faith, sketch it out in front of you that you know the simple truths of what God's word's about. Very few of us are geniuses in any areas, much less maybe one area. But we can know the basics. We can know it so well we can live our, our life. 
And as I stated in a sermon a while back, when my wife had cancer, it wasn't all the great things I studied in my doctoral program at Southwestern that helped. I learned some really neat things. I got to write papers on, from, about Augustine's view of evil and, and Calvin's view of suffering, and those are 50-page papers, and I got to figure all that stuff out and write it out. But when I'm dealing with the fact that my wife has kidney cancer, it, it was none of those great theological truths that I learned. It was simply Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's what a sketch of out is. You know the truths. You know what they are. You've been taught them. They're a part of your life. And so you hold on to that no matter what you face in life. Because when it comes down to critical moments in your life, you want the simple facts of what life is about, who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And that's what gives you the strength and the courage to live life to the fullest. And he says, we have been entrusted with the treasure just as we've been entrusted ourselves to God. That's what the whole first chapter is about. And as he wraps up the first chapter, he throws in an example, Onesiphorus. He was a perfect example of what he had been teaching in this first chapter. Now he comes into chapter 2, and he's going to give Timothy some insights of how to lead a church. And so we'll learn a little bit. And really, today's sermon is more for the guys and the gals in the sermon, but ladies, you can listen in because the truths are just as applicable to you as it is the guys. But you stand with me. I'm going to read starting in verse 1 through verse 7, and let's see what God's Word has to say this morning. You, therefore, so it's very pointed, you, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you've heard, from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy, I need you to suffer hardships with me. Do it as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who's enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone completes, that competes as an athlete, he doesn't win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive the share of his crops. Timothy, I need you to think through what I've just said. And the Lord will give you understanding in everything that we have been talking about. Father, be with us today as we study this passage. Help it to even strengthen our feet even more in the days ahead as we walk with you. As we give you glory and honor in all that we do and say. So Father, talk to us, speak to us clearly through your spirit this day. is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So if I look at verse 1 and, and 2, what it tells me immediately is it's speaking to maybe somebody in my position or in your staff's position, some of the elders in your church's position. But our job is to teach the Word of God, to think the, teach the things that have been faithfully entrusted to us over the years to be able to bring them to you. But he starts off in verse 1 by saying this, I want you to be strong. And in a sense, this is for everybody here, not just for Timothy. Guys, God has given us the ability to handle whatever there is in life. Even the moments when you don't quite feel like you might be able to get through something, he has given you the ability to do that. And this being strong is critical. It runs through all the New Testament. In the church at Ephesus, when he wrote, Paul wrote to them in Ephesians, we saw this as we got to the end of it. When he gets to chapter 6, verse 10, he's going to say, Finally, you be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. The strength of God at work in your life gives you the ability to be strong in life. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, at the end of that letter, it says, be alert, stand firm, act like men, be strong. We're all called to do this. 
If you go to the Old Testament and he's talking to Joshua, he tells him, be strong and courageous. He'll say a similar thing to Moses at one point, be strong. He'll say a similar thing to David later on, be strong. There are many times that the men of God have been called, you have to be strong at this particular point. And Paul told Timothy in chapter 1, verse 12 of, of the first letter, that the Lord has strengthened you. He has given you the ability to be able to do this. Every one of us in this room who confess faith in Lord Jesus Christ have the strength to do whatever he leads to do within our lives. You have that. And so you live it out. In our game on Friday, we have a kid that's really struggling this year on our team. He's one of our better players. But he has been called for two personal fouls for very bad hits that he's taken on others. When he did it today, this time, it's his second According to, you, to the rules in our league, three, he's out for the rest of the year. When he came off the field, I grabbed him by his shoulder pads. I played more pastor than coach a lot of times, but I pulled him in. I said, Track, young man, you listen to me. You love this game. You love being out on the field. But young man, if you don't learn to keep yourself under control, your season's going to be short. Well, coach, they hit me. I know they hit you. It was a cheap hit. Yes, I know it was a cheap hit. I agree with you it was a cheap hit. But that doesn't give you the right to act wrong. It does not give you the right to do something in retaliation. And young man, he said, well, they're, what they're doing out there to me. I said, you know what? Because of your game last week, you have been targeted by that team as a troublemaker, and they're getting in your head, and they're trying to aggravate the fool out of you. And young man, they're doing a good job. And young man, if you want to step back out on the field tonight and we need you, if you want to step back out on the field, you're going to have to be strong. And I looked him in the eye and said, young man, do you confess faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You don't normally hear that in the sideline of a football field. But we're a Christian team. Our kids confess that they have faith in Christ. Sir, yes, sir. Then act like it. Christ in you. Christ in you is the hope. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that's a football illustration, but guys, we face all that in our lives on a daily basis. Sometimes things push our buttons. Sometimes things get at us. They aggravate us. They frustrate us. It's not fair. It doesn't seem right. Paul says you've got to be strong. You've got to have strength. Now, I am finding out at 70, my physical strength gets weaker by the month. I hate it. I want to be like I was when I was in my 40s, even my early 50s, but I'm, it's not happening. Scripture says, as you get older, the body disintegrates, deteriorates. I hate that. I wish Paul never put that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But he did, and it's just the way it is. The, the Bible says a young man's glory is his strength. An old man's glory is his white hair. Give me strength over white hair. I'll take it any day. But you want to know something? Though we may grow physically weaker as we get older, we can go so strong that no matter what life has, we have the ability and the strength to be able to stand and do it. Young man, he's telling Timothy, if you're going to pastor this church, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to be strong in all that you do. And then Timothy, with that strength, here's what I want you to do. I want you to entrust these things. What are these things? Well, if you look in verse 2, the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Paul spent time in Ephesus. He taught. Think who else was in Ephesus from our study back uh, earlier in the year with the, the book of Ephesians. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was in Ephesus. John, the apostle, was in Ephesus. Can you imagine sitting there and getting to hear these people teach? Timothy had done that. 
Timothy was raised by a very godly mother, very godly grandmother. They had taught him simple principles of life. Among the many witnesses, he had had the privilege to have some of the greatest truths given to him, and they're telling him, we want you to entrust these things to others. It's the third time that word has been used in these two letters. In 1 Timothy 6.20, Timothy, guard what's been entrusted to you. What was entrusted to Timothy? The treasure of who Jesus is, Christ in you. That's what he had. That's the treasure that had been given to him. He is then told in verse uh, 12 of chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, I am convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him. So what we're to do is this. I've been entrusted with the presence of God in my life. I am now to entrust myself into the presence of God that he will take care of me. And then Timothy's job is, is to entrust these amazing things to other men within the fellowship of the church. I'm here to remind you today, my job and your staff's job and the elders of your church's job and your Sunday school teacher's job are to place before you the great truths of God's Word. It's what Sunday school's about, small group's about, the sermon is about. We're to do the best of our ability to put the great truths that we have been taught to entrust them to you, to put them into your presence. But what you got to know is this. Peter, when he's writing his last letter, when he's facing the possibility of death very soon. He said, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. When Peter wrote 2 Peter, it's a very fascinating letter. He says, you already know everything I'm writing. My job is to keep bringing it to your remembrance. Keep putting it in front of you to remind you of these amazing truths. Jude, when he writes his letter, the half-brother of Jesus says, I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord saved the people out of Egypt. Jude was telling them nothing new. He was just reminding them of what they already knew. That's part of what my job is. It's not to teach you anything new. It's to stand up here and remind you of these amazing things that are yours in Christ Jesus. Paul told the church at Philippi, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing again. He'd already told them this. He'd already said it earlier in the letter. He taught it when he was there. But it doesn't bother me to have to write it again. It's a safeguard for you. So Paul's job, Peter's job, Jude's job was to remind people. So it's what's in their mind. Sometimes we need those gentle reminders that we understand. So that's our job, to teach the Word of God in such a way that it reminds you. John, even the great John said, I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and there's no lie in the truth. I'm just helping to bring it to your remembrance. So my job and the other's job in the church, Sunday school, whatever you might be doing, is to constantly put up before you truths that you've learned all your life. To remind you again each week that you gather and as you go through life, these are the truths. This is God's presence. He's with you. He's watching over you. He's taking care of you. And that reminding is important. If you go back to the Old Testament, there are times they would put stones in places and they would put an altar over here and they would do something over here. Why? To remind the people of what God had done. And whenever they're in there, he says to remind them of how you were coming out of Egypt and how he delivered you out of Egypt, how he provided. We all need that constant reminder to be able to get through life. And see, as an elder or as a Sunday school teacher, you know who teaches the people that you teach? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's the one who opens people's eyes to understand. Paul was very clear. He said, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit from God, so we may know the things that have been freely given to us by the Father in heaven. 
it's the Spirit of God that works within your heart and your life. It's the one who, as somebody's teaching or preaching and you're maybe doing your devotional and you're sitting there, all of a sudden, boom, one day it just seems to click. Oh, I've never seen it that way before. It makes sense. It's the Spirit of God doing that. He's our teacher. He's the one who helps all of us to get to where we need to go. My job, your elder's job, and others' job is to stay faithful to the task of preaching and teaching God's Word. Paul told the church, or Timothy and the church at Ephesus, he looked at Timothy in the last chapter of this letter we're looking at, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season. Always be ready to be able to tell people the great truths of God's Word. Reprove, exhort, uh, rebuke with great patience and instruction. And he said this to the church at Corinth, my message and preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. You know, sometimes certain speakers get up and they spellbind us by their gifts of oratory and skills, and some people have those kind of special gifts. Most don't. Paul did not have that. He said, but I just share with you the wisdom that God has blessed me with, and I'm trying to remind you of the wisdom that he has given you, and I'm going to teach you that. And that's why he told the church corn, God didn't send me to baptize, he sent me to preach. Not in cleverness of speech, because I don't want your faith to rest in me, the preacher in Corinth. I want your faith to rest in Jesus Christ and him alone. So that's what Paul's telling Timothy. Young man, you got a job, you teach these people. You take these men, you entrust them with these amazing truths. Now that leads to point two. Our job your job, my job was to do that. Your job is to simply learn and stay faithful in your commitment to Jesus. So Paul does not tell Timothy that he's responsible for everybody who sits under his feet. So it's his job, he's got to make sure everybody's there. No, his job is just to present the truths of God's Word. But where he needs to address is, is a certain group. He needs to entrust God's Word to faithful men. This is a challenge to the men in the church, to be faithful. And what does faithful mean? Simple word, reliable. You show up. This is someone who's proven himself over and over. You know, as a coach on a football team, I've learned I don't put certain kids out on the field at crit critical moments. You know why? Because in practice, they have proven to me that when they were in there, they will not make the tackle. They will not make the block. They will get out of the way. And so I cannot count on them, nor the rest of the team, count on at a critical moment in the game. And they'll all be on the sidelines. Coach, can I get in? Can I get in? Yeah, just a moment. I'll keep doing what I'm doing. I would love to put them in. But they haven't been faithful. And when they practice, I use a very highly technical word. I say you're doing nothing but lollygagging around. If you don't know that, look it up in the dictionary, I think. They're not trying. They're just coasting along. Want to be a part of the, the group, part of the party, but not willing to pay the price. Faithful men are needed. Men who pay the price Sunday after Sunday, day after day, week after week, raising your family, working, taking care of people, watching over them, doing that. Paul says, Timothy, I want you to teach them. Because there are a lot of unfaithful listeners, even within a church. That's the way it was here. In fact, Paul told the church at Philippi, there are many who I've told you about, they're almost enemies of the, of the gospel. They're almost enemies of the cross of Christ Jesus. And he told Titus there in, in Crete, there are a lot of guys around you that are rebellious men. They're empty talkers. They're deceivers. And then there are those who want to, write, want to fight about text and about this word and that word. They want to wrangle about the word of God. Do you know at this church, that's why he had to be strong, Paul names a bunch of names of troublemakers. 
I don't know who, what pastor could survive doing this if he started labeling troublemakers and stuff like that, but he does. He says to him, Phygelus, Hermogenes, uh, Hymenaeus, Philetus, these are men who have gone astray from the truth. Uh, we have some who oppose the truth, men of depraved mind, they're rejected regarding the faith. Demas, my friend, left us. He loves the world more than he loved what God was doing. And Alexander the coppersmith, he's a troublemaker. It was not Timothy's job to get these men in line. It was his job to teach. And the faithful men listening to him would learn the truth, stand with him to be strong in the days that went ahead. But I want to remind everybody who teaches new things, there are always faithful followers of Jesus sitting when you're teaching and, follow, and talking that are listening and want to know what God's word says. Puts the burden on you that you do a good job because they want a fresh word from God always. You know, Berean church was that way. When Paul went down to there and was teaching, it said this, they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with great eagerness. Here's my challenge to you, faithfulness on your part and great eagerness to want to know what God's doing. That's what you bring to the table. Your staff, your elders, your teachers, their job is to be ready to give that, but you come with eagerness and faithfulness every day after day after day. Now that leads to this, what are we trying to accomplish by all this? What do we want to accomplish? Okay, you say, well, this is what it's supposed to do. What do you want to accomplish by it? Well, if I look in verses 3 and following, there are three things you're trying to get to in all of our lives, my life and your life. The first thing is that you suffer as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And you do that by not being entangled in the world. I pastored military church for 35 years, six at Live Oak and then later at Village Parkway, nearly 30 I have spent all my life around men who have served. I have counseled. I have talked with them. I've heard their stories. And to be a soldier in combat is very, very difficult and very tough. They, don't, they, they don't, can't do much. They're sleeping in tents. They're sleeping on the ground. Uh, there's wounded. There's hurt. There's suffering. There's fear. There's all kinds of things. But a good soldier does what? A good soldier is always ready. He follows the orders which his commander gives, and he does his job. We're all called to be good soldiers to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not an easy job to be a good soldier sometimes. I've watched and listened to my men and all that they've been through in life, but they stayed faithful. 20 and 30 years of service to our military in tough, difficult situations, they did that. You and I are called in the same way, See, our only responsibility is this. You have one responsibility when it comes down to it. Where it says there in verse 4, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the fair so that he may please the one who enlists him as a soldier. Who enlisted you as a soldier of God's kingdom? God the Father through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. You have one job, be pleasing to him. Don't let the world entangle you. In fact, Hebrew, the, in the book of Hebrews, whenever you get to chapter 12, do not be encumbered or entangled by all these various things that can happen so you can run the race, so you can be strong in life. A good soldier is ready to serve his master through whatever the orders may be. Chapter 2, you have to do it according to the rules. You have to be a good athlete. Athletes who violate the rules, such as a couple of my players have done over the last couple of weekends, they get penalized and sometimes very severely because of that. You and I have to play according to the rules. What are the rules? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. 
Or go to Ephesians and do what? Tell the truth. Get your anger under control. Work hard with your own hands and don't make anyone else have to take care of you. Speak only that which is wholesome and good. Watch over your family and care for them. Keep your life morally pure. Those are the rules. You violate the rules, there are consequences to violating the rules of God. That's what happened to Uzzah whenever he touched the ark and knew better that he was never allowed to not only not look at it, but much less touch the ark. And it cost him his life. There are rules. You and I have to follow what God calls. Now, when I was growing up in a Baptist church, here's the rules I thought we had to follow. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't go with girls that do. Those are not the rules. That's what I was taught in the Baptist church when I was a young kid. You could do all of that and be the most ungodliest guy in the entire room. We're called to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you go, well, I don't want to rule follow. Some of you are not real good rule followers. I've known a lot of people that are not good rule followers. You're not following rules to follow rules. I have been gifted, the greatest gift in all the world, the gift of life. Christ in me. I'm going home one day and it's going to be okay. I'm not doing this because you're compulsorily making me do it. I'm doing it out of appreciation for what you've given me. We are the most blessed people in all the world. Let's live those blessings out fully. And when God calls us to do something, do it. And then the third thing, hard work. You plow with hope. You'll see that in verse 6. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. In my ministry of 45 years, I pastored military, and for nine years I pastored farmers. I never forget when I got out there, I knew nothing about farming. I was so, I mean, I grew up in the city about the size of Greenville. I lived in Houston. I lived in Austin. I lived in Fort Worth, and I lived in San Antonio. And then God moved us to the panhandle of Texas. One of the few places I asked God never to send me was to the panhandle, and he did. So don't ever say you're not going somewhere because he sent me there. And my wife and I, we live 70 miles from life. I'm serious. 70 miles from Walmart for my wife. So that's what I'm talking about. But we live that far out. But after a while, I, I, I learned. And I came to an amazing appreciation for those men out there and what they did. In fact, when I got towards the end of my ministry at Village before God moved me, I mean, at uh, First Baptist Spring Lake, and I moved to First Baptist Shallow Water, I was in the gin one day. Cotton harvest was coming in. They had been uh, stripping cotton and bringing it in, having it gin there at the cotton gin. And I'm sitting there, and an old KB Parish, one of my men, came in and said, Now, preacher, giving's not going to be as good this year. Cotton just hasn't done that well. Just need you to know. Don't be expecting the December checks like we've done always before. And I said, well, I, I appreciate that. I said, I understand. I said, uh, KB, you had three sections of cotton this year. Yeah. Three sections. You got two and a half bales an acre. Am I correct? Yes, sir. Uh, price of cotton last week was this. Yeah. I see that times this, this amount of money. Yes. And farming costs, according to all of you, are running about this much per acre. And you have three sections. That's about 1,900 acres times that cost, and that'd be this. It's been a tough year clearing about three-quarters of a million dollars in profit. And he looked at me and says, you've been here too long as pastor. It's time to go. <laughs> but you know what? Those guys deserve that hard work. It's up 
The great farmers, they're up before the sun out in the panhandle. And they're still working 9 o'clock at night because the sun's still up. If they're at the gin, the bad farmers would sit at the gin all day and drink coffee but never go out their fields but maybe once or twice. Lexi Fennel and many of the others, the great ones, they'd come get a cup of coffee for about 10 minutes, say hi to everybody, and then out the door they'd go back to the farms. If I'd drive around on the highway, I'd look over and see Lexi's fields perfectly straight, not a weed in them, everything done well. He's deserved every blessings come his way as he retired last year because of the amount of time and effort. That's what Paul's saying. A farmer deserves to be benefited from what he gets. Here's what I'm here to say with this now. God is going to bless you with blessings because of your hard work. It's going to be a part of it. There are unbelievable benefits that come by your being faithful. You give everything you can give to the Father in heaven. You serve him through good and bad. He will, there are blessings. Some of them will be in eternity, but some of them will be now. But what you and I are called to do, if you think about it, is simply this. Suffer hardships, do what God's called us to do, and stay faithful working every single day. Not overly profound, is it? But that is life. That's what you and I have been called to do. And then he concludes in verse 7. Timothy, consider what I say. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The word consider, think carefully. Think carefully. In our game a week ago, Friday, we played May, one of the powerhouses in six-man football. Our guys said at the first year, they were, when we saw it on our schedule, they're going, we're going to get 45. That means you get stomped and it's over by half times what they were expecting. Final score, May 55. Thesa, 54. It was a knockdown, drag out, good fight, fun. But one of our players called a fair catch on a kickoff, crucial kickoff towards the end of the game. At the 20-yard line, he called a fair catch. And he watched it. And he watched it bounce. And he watched it come to a stop at his feet. He did nothing. He just watched it. Well, if you don't know anything about football, you say, oh, that's okay. No, if you know something about football, it's live. Whoever gets it, it's theirs. And May recovered it at his feet, looking at it. If you're a coach on the sideline, you're about gone crazy over what he did. Well, when he came off, he said, but I called a fair catch. He didn't think through the rules or how it worked. He now knows. We taught him how to do that afterwards. Sometimes we're not thinking. You've got to think. God gave us minds. See, it's your job to walk through life and not be deceived by any deceivers that are out there or overcome by any evil because God's given you the ability to know what's right and good. But sometimes you need to stop and just reflect for a moment, remind yourself, that's what Sunday morning's about, that's what small groups are about, that's what your devotionals are about, is to be constantly reminded of these truths so when we get to the critical moment, you don't have a brain freeze like our kid did on that field, which ended up costing us the game. We didn't tell him that. Uh, his dad did afterwards, but we didn't tell him. But I don't want anything to cost you in life. God gave you the ability to know truths. He taught you these truths. We remind you of those truths. But you have to think it through. You have to make it applicable within your life. 
Because you have no idea what life's going to bring you. I think of uh, Joseph. He was raised in a very dysfunctional family. He ended up, there were four moms in that thing before it was over with. One of the moms was very angry because she named all of her kids interesting names. Leah named every kid in such a way that maybe now that I've had this kid, he'll love me, talking about Jacob. Literally, that's what all the names were about. The other kids came along. Joseph is one of the ones who came from the wife that his dad loved. Not from Leah, but from the one he loved. So maybe a little more blessings because he had that multicolored coat. But what he didn't realize is the jealousy of siblings and how even anything he said was going to be taken wrong. And so when he has his dreams and tells the dreams which are from God and are true, they take it against him and they, they plot to destroy him. I cannot imagine what it would be like to be in a family if the whole family turns against you. I know it happens. It happened to Joseph. And then they sold him in slavery and still killing him. He gets an amazing job almost immediately over Potiphar's house to be able to manage and run. But then he gets the temptation that is out of this world after him, and yet he denies the temptation, walks away from it, but it spends 12 years in jail for something he never did. If you're 30 years old and you came from a dysfunctional family, your brothers want you dead. They get rid of you and lie to dad about what happened, that you'd been killed and you're now gone in a slave trade in a foreign nation. And then something goes totally wrong, which you did absolutely nothing wrong. And you're in jail for 12 years. He got a little reprieve in the midst of the 12 years when two of the guys were thrown in jail. He interpreted their dream and said, please remember me, but they forgot. One was killed, the other just forgot to tell everybody about him in the prison and what he said. If you're 30 years of age and that's happened in your life, what do you do? Most people don't do well. They don't handle it. But Joseph did. Later when he encounters his brothers and has to finally have a talk with them, he said, you know, you guys meant evil for me, but God meant it for good. And I'm going to take care of all of you guys. Here's a man who had learned the truths of God's word even through the difficulties of life, who understood God's word and the truths and lived them out in the most difficult of situations. That's what it means to think through carefully and God will give us understanding. He had it. When the world, when his understanding should not have been there, he had it. You can too. When you come to Ridgecrest on Sunday and you're in your class and teacher's giving you some truths, Think through, what does it mean in my life? What's the impact on my life? We come in the sermon, we're singing the hymns or the songs that we have that speak these amazing truths. What does that mean in my life? How does that apply? Do I bring that in? It's not just words out of my mouth, but it's what's in my heart. When I'm doing my devotional in the morning and I'm reading a passage of Scripture and God speaks to me through that, what is that doing within my life? God will give you understanding, but you've got to think it through carefully. And God will richly bless you. Because here's what we close with. Every one of us in this room want to finish well. We're all moving towards the same direction. Glory. The coming of Christ and all of his glory. And we being caught up with him to be together. When that day happens, I'll see dad, I'll see mom, I'll see grandma, I'll see grandpa. I will see Billy Tom who never walked 
And I will see him in a resurrected body from what he went through his entire life. I look forward to that day. I'm going to be with people that I passed over the years who I came to love and appreciate in such a powerful way. I'm going to see them again. Man, what an amazing finish. Every single one of us in this room have come in our way. But until that day, remember this. For momentary light afflictions, 2 Corinthians 4, momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond any comprehension you can't even begin to fathom how amazing it's going to be on the day you look up and see Jesus coming. You stay faithful. My job's to help you, and your job's to help each other. So we get there, and when we go up, we'll look at each other and go, I can't believe you made it. No, you don't have to say that. <laughs> but we make it together. Isn't that what this is about? You know, I try to teach the kids in football. You're a team. Play together. Don't play against each other. Play together. Church, play together. Work together. Achieve together what God wants to do in the lives of his people here in Greenville. Join with me as we pray. Father, we thank you for the day, the privilege and honor you give us to study your word. And thank you for the passage. It's more of an admonition to Timothy of what he's supposed to do, but yet there's an admonition to all of us that we be faithful and that we learn and we think through carefully all the great truths that have been entrusted to us. And that, Father, you will help us to be strong in all that we do and say is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.